0: The copyrighted program created by Rio Grande. 200 times, we're about to cars, an archive. That's the archive broadcast, 192. we the got an open person. General account for Carl Harding. This is going his be home for two days.
1: Maybe murdered. That's all.
0: You are eager to find higher performance at lower cost. Your search is ended. For the radically new and different all purpose wheel lambda that packs twice as many vital ingredients as are found in most ordinary gasoline is no farther away than the red and white wheel lambda station in your neighborhood. Many motor fuels are made with one main purpose in mind. Some emphasize the element of station head gasoline for easy starting. some stress straight run gasoline for highly performance. Others place the accent on crack Japanese alone for the start-and-stop driving in city traffic and miles. Others call attention to stabilized Japanese for speedy acceleration. Some point to a taller content for anti-nautic performance. And others both set to ethyl lead for maximum power. All of these ingredients, twice as many as the three found in ordinary fuel, are scientifically merged in Rio Grande's brand-new crack gasoline. That's what makes it the revolutionary, all purpose motorfield that powers the cars of the men who drive the most under all kinds of conditions. The men of the wheel your police cars, ambulances, and other emergency equipment. Try at night to them all. And you'll we'll agree with these difficult to please drivers of public serving automobiles and tens of thousands of discriminating motors. that the new all-purpose we Grand De the deserves every word of its well-earned title the most highly recommended gasoline of power and performance sold in the world. The story we are to hear tonight was taken from the facts supplied from the confidential files of the Office of Sheriff James M. Ploom of Tehama County. We have therefore asked Sheriff Ploom to prepare a foreword for our program. It's a pleasure to join the scores of officers who have appeared on Calling All Cars and to add my voice to the steadily increasing chorus of those who make it their business to prove that the criminal and crime, a crime is a losing proposition. It might be a good thing, and it uh, certainly would be an interesting pursuit, to go back to the criminal acts of the lawbreaker to find out what makes him a criminal. But the work of the average law enforcement officer is so great that he has little time to do other than bring the criminal into court, where his guilt can be determined and his punishment measured. In this work, he expects, and I'm proud to say he usually gets, the complete cooperation of other law enforcement officers. Tonight's story will serve as a model for that sort of cooperation that brings home to the criminal the truth of the statement that time of any sort cannot pay. This is a bitterly cold, bitter evening, during the open week of 1938 from the city of Red California. In a small lunch room, a tall, slender, and well dressed young man with eating his meal weavily, and suddenly a pretty brown haired girl slipped into the seat beside him.
1: Um, Would you mind terribly if I sat here a few and talked to you? Hmm?
0: Oh, oh no, of course I wouldn't mind. You go right ahead. Uh-huh.
1: I suppose this seems kind of funny to you. I mean me just barging in and stopping to talk to you. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I'm glad you did. I'm so I don't make a practice of talking to strange men, but you look like a right guy, and... Well, you look kind of
0: lonesome, too. <laughs> I'm afraid you heard it right, Billy. That's just the part about being lonesome, anyway. But don't tell me a pretty kid like you hasn't got lots of boyfriends around here.
1: Oh, none that I like very well. I work in a restaurant down on Main Street. A lot of fresh monkeys make passes at me, but I wouldn't go out with any of them. Not even if they sailed up to the counter in their own private yacht. <laughs>
0: Yeah? Well, uh, what made you think I wouldn't turn out to be a fresh monkey, too?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Women's intuition, maybe. <laughs> I
0: see. You say, uh, you work in a restaurant down on Main Street. Right? Mm hmm. The Denver Cafe, you know? No, I know where it is, yeah.
1: I hardly ever eat there, well. No? Well, um, do you suppose you could get into the habit Of uh, eating at the Denver? Mm hmm. <laughs>
0: Sure, now that I know that you're working there. But, uh, the place is so good. What are you doing
1: in this cafe? Isn't that
0: a form of treason, or (laughs) something?
1: No, not exactly. You see, my sister works here. I'm just waiting for her to get off duty. Oh, I see. Um, in case you might be interested, (coughs) my name's Emily. Emily? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a pretty name. But, uh, isn't there any more to it? Uh-huh. Swanson. Emily
0: Swanson. Oh, it's nice knowing you, Emily. Well, um... You have a name, too, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Seems to me I have. Uh, how would Claude David
1: do? <laughs> well, that's as good as any. Better a most, baby. Thanks. Not at all. And uh, it's nice knowing you, too, Claude. You know, you're a slow kid, Emily. I'd like to see a lot of you. Oh, frankly, I was rather hoping you'd say that.
0: Well, there's one hitch. Uh, see, I work for a sheep rancher down near Corning. Uh, the place is close to 20 miles south of here, and... Well, I haven't got a car. That's going to make things a little tough.
1: Not necessarily. What do you mean? Well, if you really want to see me once in the while, club, you don't have to worry about not having a car. You see, I have one. You
0: have? One. Uh-huh. Oh, swell. Hey, look, Emily. You and I are going to go places and do things. Uh, you furnish the car, I'll furnish the money.
1: We'll have some really grand times together, won't we? Yeah, uh, you
0: bet we will, honey. It's been mighty lonesome living in that little trailer house down there all by myself. Never going anywhere or seeing anybody.
1: It's been lonesome for me, too. After I help out at home, it's all I can do to make the car payments. There's never anything left for a good time.
0: Well, that's all over for both of us, Emily. Oh, really? You don't have to worry about money. I'll give you five dollars a week towards wear and tear on the car and,
1: well, maybe help with the payments, besides. Claude, you don't have That's the bargain, Emily. Take it or leave it. Oh, I knew you were a right guy, (laughs) (laughs) Claude. Woman's intuition, you know. But here comes my sister. I've yeah. got to go now. Come night, to uh, Tomorrow night, eight o'clock at the Denver Cafe. Is that all right? Oh, too. That's all right. Good night, Charlie. Good night, Emily.
0: And thus began a friendship that ran smoothly enough for the first few weeks. But on the evening of March eighth, began a series of events that was to change the picture completely. Pedro Martinez, a sheep rancher who owned the property of John of the rancher for whom called David Wilson, had gone early to bed after a hard day's work. Gavin the a savage barking with his dogs outside the little fatal house awakening while he slumbered. Oh, yes. Now, oh, what's the matter with the stock? Hello? Anybody home? Uh, who is it? What do you want? i trying to buy Joe Mendes' again. Know him? Uh, Joe Mendez. Oh sure. How much will you charge to take me there? I'll oh, take you for nothing. If you just find, you'll find of man. Wait a minute, they're going to open the door for you. Carlos Bruno, shout it to Let's come inside while I put on some more clothes. Uh, oh, what's the matter? You got a gun? You bet I got a gun. Now take up your hands and come outside here. What are you going to do? I want your money. Hand it over quick and don't hold nothing out on that. I've got only a nickel that's all. Yeah, we'll find out about that. Turn around. Now, put your hands behind your back. Like, like this? Yeah, like that. When I get done wiring your wrists together, you won't be able to get into mischief. You, you're you, not going to kill me? Uh, that depends on you now. Get back inside there. Hurry it up. Stand still while I go through your pockets. Have a look around. Well, Mr. I've got only a nickel. It's in the of my pants. Oh, these pants here? The ones thrown across his chair? Yes. Let's hold up. Oh, now I see you in the light. I know who you are. You do, huh? Well, if you're smart, you'll forget who I am Prado. You'll take care of the sheep in the next posture. You, you know what it? I said? Shut up, unless you want me to use a shotgun. Oh, all right. I'll shut up. don't seem to find nothing but that blame nickel you told me about. Ah, here. I'll pick off that wire. Oh, Good it was time ah, get into your clothes. And get your checkbook and a pencil. Remember, any funny business, and I'll blow your head off. My pencil, I, I, I don't remember where I put it. I, I never think... mind the pencil, then. Here's a pen and ink on the table. Put them in your pocket as soon as you finish dressing. See, si, senor. Uh, Larry, can you uh, get a check cashed place in Corning? Oh, I think so. My long clock says it's only half past nine... I think maybe they would catch one in the pool, called. Good. You ready to go now? Uh, I guess so. All right. Put your hands behind you again. I'll wire those wrists of yours good and snug so you won't start getting. <coughs> out of here. Please, Senor, don't use the wire again. It's the boat's bad. But... That's your tough luck. Get your hands behind you. Please, Senor. Uh, that's your car I saw parked just outside, isn't it? Yeah. Go on out there. Get in it. I'll do the driving. We'll be in the corner now. We'll get a couple of things I want to do before we get there. All right, I guess I can take a chance on taking that wire off now. Ah, there.
1: Oh, Oh. Oh. this skin
0: is so sore, I can't touch it. Never mind that. Get up and write the check. You can see plain enough what you're doing from the headlights. Uh, I don't know, senor. My hands are so swelled up, maybe I can't write. You write that check and like it. Make it out to yourself for 15 bucks and then endorse it. Now get going. Hurry it up. That
1: fool hell will be closing before long.
0: Here's the pool hall. I'm leaving the shotgun in the car, but I got a revolver in my pocket, so I don't try anything. No, sir. Go right up to the cigar counter and hand the guy your check. And remember, keep your coat sleeves so you pulled down, so he won't be asking no questions about them sore wrists. Sure. I'll be right alongside of you. Uh, no monkey business, see? And Don't give me the money till we get back out to the car. No. Good evening,
1: boys.
0: Can I have a little game? No, uh, I just wanted to... You would be good enough to guess for me a check. Why, of course, Pedro, I'll be glad to. Oh, uh, fifteen dollars, eh? I didn't think I could dig up that much for you, all right.
1: Your
0: son is coming time to see a show. Yeah, I was saw a pretty good one too. <laughs> Full of wise facts and good looking days. <laughs> <laughs> well, here you are, Pedro. A five and a ten, don't all right? See, si, senor. One is enough the... six. Good night, boys. Come in again. Okay. Now get into the car. No, not there. Move over into the driver's seat. You want me to drive? Well, it's... Oh. taking me back to my camp. Now turn over the dough. Oh. You Thanks. Get out of here. You should both. That's a fool's stunt to tell the sheriff about this. You'll be a dead man inside of 24 hours. Oh. Don't forget that. On March 18th, Ten days after the robbery of Pedro, Sheriff Jim Floom of Tahoma County received a telephone message at his office in Red Bluff. Yes? Yes? This is up at Aeroplane in Penn County. I found here the ranch about eight miles south of the The people who lived here found the body of a young man in one of the green fields this morning. Accident of some kind? No, the main case of murder. When I got here, I found the case was out of my jurisdiction. The body was
1: found just over the county line in your territory. I'll stick
0: around if you get there. Okay, and thanks, Bailey. I'll be down as soon as I can make it. 45 minutes later, Sheriff Bloom, accompanied by District Attorney Fair Engel, the Arthur Frickett, and Deputy Klein, reached the scene of the crime, a distance of 30 miles from Red Bluff. It had been raining heavily for several days, and the ground was still drenched when the officers stepped from their car. Whoever killed this poor chap certainly didn't bother to move the body very far away from the edge of the road, Sheriff. No, oh, it looks to me as if it had been taken for a ride and then robbed. Yeah. Look at those deep wets over there at the edge of the field, Mr. Angle. The fellow who killed this man left his body here, sure had a tough time goodness car out of the mud. The Corn trying to catch your eye, Sheriff. Oh, you want me to look at something. Oh, uh, find anything of interest, Doc? Well, I wish you'd look at this body closely, Sheriff. It doesn't appear to me that only robbery was the motive here i five boys got their life. Right. There's hatred and revenge back to this. No one would trouble man to death with that savagery for any other reason. Any idea who the man is? Well, I don't think it's anyone I know. Maybe if we turn the body on its back. Yeah. Good Lord. It's Carl Hardy. He's that young fellow that goes around the county selling drugs and small kitchen groceries. Yeah, I know him, Sheriff. Now I'm beginning to see the light. You mean that's trouble over the girl? Of course. You remember when our mother had him arrested, don't you? Certainly, but no one in the whole family could be capable of a crime like this, Mr. Angel. Besides, he never really had it coming. He truly loved that girl. Yes, I know. As I remember, the chief objection the girl's parents had to Carl was the difference in their ages. Carl's in his thirties somewhere, and I think the girl was seventeen. He built a lot of mountains out of that molehill, too. Mm, it's a possible motive, of course, but I sincerely hope it's only. So do I. This is going to be a terrible blow to the girl, Sheryl. You see, I happen to know that she and Carl were secretly married in Yuma, Arizona, some little time ago. Is that right, dear? Well, no matter who's responsible for this young man's murder, they'll not get away with it. So help me. And Sheriff, see these badly swollen hands and the deep marks on the wrists? It looks to me as if they'd been wired together. Uh-huh. And that can be mighty painful to the victim, too, Doc, and I should say it can. Well, I can't find anything in the man's pockets, Sheriff. Looks like it might have been robbery after all. That battered head, doesn't. It? Robbing the man could have been done through a blind. Well, if there has been the, uh... Yeah. Oh. oh, what's this? What? Find something, Sheriff? Oh, i sure did. Part of the murder weapon. What is it? Oh, it looks to me like the sack of a tried rifle. I just scuffed it out of the mud with a pair of my shoes. Seems to be pretty heavy, doesn't it? Mm, you better tell you. Yeah. Traged a bolt action gun, and the stock is broken off just back of the loading mechanism. Well, heavy enough to do plenty of damage here. He's got a number of wounds. Any one of it could have caused death. I don't see a sign of a bullet hole anywhere on his body. Well, let's finish up here just as quickly as we can, boy. I want to get back to Red Bluff and start the wheels of this case moving. I'm going to find Carl Harder's murderer or murderers if it's the last thing I do on earth. Oh, hello, Mr. Engel. How are you, Sheriff? I just stopped in to see if there's anything new on the Hardy case. Well, here's something that may interest you. An item in a little day book that Hardy carried with him. There's no direct bearing on the murder of court, but it, it'll stand investigation. This item out right here, sure? Yes. March 14, 1938. Sold Claude David, forty-five automatic Colt, $20. What's that all about? Well, naturally, I don't know what David wanted the gun for, but I do know that he's an ex-convict under Pereira to me. Well, these are not permitted to have guns in their possession. Where's this fellow David? Where'd he come from? Well, yeah, from somewhere well, in the south originally, I think. He was sentenced to San years in 1932 for picking up a storekeeper with a gun in Murdoch County. in 37 and came to this county to work. Suppose you have any line on who might have killed Hardy? Well, I don't know, Mister Engel, but I'm going to find out. As soon as Under-Sheriff Moore gets back to the office, we're going to take a little ride and pay Claude David a visit. This the little trailer house where David lives, Sheriff. Yeah, that's right, Ed. That's David standing in the doorway. Pull up right and bump in front there. Hello, Claude. Oh, good afternoon, Sheriff. Well, to come out this land and from work connected with Carl Hyder's murder, I just thought I'd drop by. Oh, ah, I'm glad you did, Sheriff. Uh, that murder was a pretty terrible thing, wasn't it? Yes, pretty bad, Claude. Shame it had to happen. Yeah, I can't understand who'd want to do a thing like that to a nice fall like Carl. Well, most of us can't. You knew Carl pretty well, didn't you? Well, I suppose so, in a way. Had he been out here lately? Why, uh, yes. Yes, he was out here the same evening. He was killed. Is that so? Anything in particular he came to see you about? Well, yes. As I gave him a pup, and he came out to get it. Is that all he came out for? Yes, sir. He didn't come to collect for a gun, soldier. Oh, no, sir. You're sure of that, Claude? Of course, Sheriff, because Carl never sold me a gun. Well, I hope you're telling me the truth. You know, it's back to San Quentin for you if you're caught with a gun. I know that, Sheriff. Honest, I'd rather die than go back to that place. Well, oh, I didn't buy a gun from Carl. From nobody else, either. Oh, well, that's I just said. I'd ask, is all. Well, we better get going, Ed.
1: See you later, Carl. I'm glad to stop by, Sheriff. Go
0: on. Well, the boy tonight buying that gun clever enough. What do you think, Sheriff? I think he's a cock-eyed liar. Room had questioned him about the gun. Claude David came to the sheriff's home with a request to change his place in employment. David's manner was nervous shifted, and shifty, and Sheriff Room became half convinced that the youth might actually be Hardy's murderer. The following morning, Room called the parole board and received instructions to hold David in connection with the gun episode. You've had a few days to think it over now, Claude. Have you got anything to say? Yes, I. I do want to tell you something, sir. Oh, good. Let's have it. Well, when Hardy came out to my place that evening. A 1936 Buick sedan followed him. And when he drove off the road the park in front of my trailer house, the Buick stopped and waited for him. Then a man got out, and when Hardy left my place, this fellow made him stop his car. Yes? And what happened after that? Well, then another man got out of the Buick and walked over to Hardy's car. He got in the driver's seat, and the two men made Hardy get in between him. Hardy's car went west toward the old Corning Road, and the Buick went east toward Highway 99. What did these men look like? Well, one of them was blonde, about 19, and the other was dark, and about 23. What time did nothing, happen, Claude? Between 6.30 and 7 o'clock. You know who these men were? No, but uh, another car went by him, and I think the man driving it did. Do you know who was in that car? Uh, yes, Joe Mendy, a chief man out there. Well, thanks for the information, Claude, but uh, don't you think you'd better tell me about that gun now? Oh, I don't know nothing about any gun, Sheriff. Well, all right. You can go back to your cell now. We'll check those other stories. Like I thought, eh? David's told men just a pack of lies. You're beginning to look that way. The distance from David's cabin to where he came his car was stopped is too far for a person to be able to judge the age and complexion of anyone on the clearest of days. Yes, and David wants us to believe he could do it at 6.30 in the evening. On a cloudy evening at that. Oh, that must be Jill Mendes' place over the Yes? Uh-huh. We'll know more about this cock bull story in a few minutes, I guess. Uh, wait, split on it. There's a fellow sending some sheep. Maybe that's Mendes'. Okay, sir. You, members? I see it. What is it you want? Well, uh, come over here a minute. We're from the sheriff's office. Sheriff's office? Yes. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Oh. Whatever you want to know. Can you tell me where your car was during the early evening of last March 17th, Mr. Mendez? March 17th? Let's see. Oh, see. Uh, my daughter, she drove to our home in Richfield that morning. And it wasn't out here again all day. I see. You know a sheep herder by the name of, uh, Claude David? No, no, I don't. But there is something I think I'll tell you about you. Well, then don't hesitate to do it, Mr. Mendes. A couple of days ago, Pedro Martinez, who owns a sheep ranch near here, he came to my wife and told her a very strange story. We are close friends with Pedro's, and so I knew he would not lie. Besides, there were the marks on his race. Well, suppose you start at the beginning and tell the whole story in the proper order. You see, you see, of course. When Pedro first made my wife to swear that she would never repeat what he was about to tell her before he would say a word, he was very frightened. Frightened? At what? He was afraid Claude David was going to kill him. Claude David, huh? You see, one night after Pedro, he had gone to bed. His dogs woke him up with their barking As far as I'm concerned, Mr. Engel, there's no longer any question in my mind as to David's guilt in the Hardy case. The wrists of Pedro Martinez have been bound with wire, so are those of Carl Hardy. Now, two pairs of wired wrists in a single month doesn't leave any room for coincidence. I agree with you perfectly, Sheriff. But will a jury? Well, I'm not going to leave that to chance. I want an ironclad case against this murderer when he goes into court, just as much as you do. Uh, Pedro Martinez and other witnesses are waiting outside. I'm going to confront them with the prisoner. Mind if I sit in? Of course not. Oh, uh, Mr. Martinez, Mr. Phelps, will you uh, come in, please? I wish you would let me go home, senor. Oh, you're nothing to be afraid of, Martinez. Lord David, if he found out i have been here, he would kill me for sure. Claude well, David is not in the position where he can kill anyone right now. Mr. Engel, this is the man whom the prisoner tied up with a wire and then robbed. Oh All right. He made you write out a check, didn't he? See, si, senor. And I'm the man who cashed it for Pedro at my pool hall down in Corning. Gentlemen, I'm going to have David brought in here so that you may identify him. No, 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 please, senor. Now, well, there's no way that he can hurt you, Martinez. i give you my word. Now, what can he do to you, Pedro, with a bunch of cops all around him? I'll call David in. All right, boy. Bring him in. What? I want you to stand just inside the door here and let these men have a good look at you. Okay, sir. Is this the man who held you up, Mr. Martinez? Uh, I well. Oh, sure, that's the guy. He was in my pool hall with Pedro that night. Now, if you recognize him, don't be afraid to say so, Mr. Martinez. Si, senor. Excuse me, ma'am. Thank you, gentlemen. I won't detain you any longer. You don't think he'll come after me now, senor? I not only don't think so, I know he won't. Goodbye, gentlemen. Thank you again. Goodbye, sheriff. Well, Clark, what have you got to say? I never saw those men before in my life. What? You mean to say they were lying? No, they're just mistaken. I wonder if you realize just what your position is, David. Every scrap of evidence is against you. There's not a single clue, not a single statement of witnesses that's been in your favor. Oh, why don't you confess? Well, why should I confess? Because there's nothing else left for you to do. Uh, well, all right. I killed Carl Hardy and Rob Pedro Martinez after threatening to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, what did you do with the money and the watch you took from Hardy's pocket? I didn't take anything from Carl's pocket. That's a lie, and you know it. Well, well, there was a waitress I was going around with. I gave her money to help keep up her car. Helped with some of the payments, too, now and then. We went out together two or three times a week and had fun. And so you killed one man and robbed another just so you could take your girlfriend out. Did the girl know about this? No. Well, she just thought I had more money than I did. She didn't know anything about it. What do you suppose she'll think when she finds out? Yeah, I guess she'll be sorry the good times are over. Well, haven't you any remorse for what you've done, Claude? Oh, Sure. It does seem a shame to kill a man and then get a little out of it. On the witness stand, however, David's detailed confession became a repudiated nightmare. He pleaded, not guilty, Your Honor, by reason of insanity. But District Attorney Engel had other ideas. Now, you claim, David, that you don't remember anything... From the time you stopped the car until you found yourself standing by the prone body of Carl Hardy. That's right. If you couldn't remember, why did you think you had killed him? Because I had a gun in my hands and there wasn't anybody else there. And you claim you're too insane to know right from wrong, hmm? Yes, sir. Why did you throw your gun away and burn your gloves? So they so they couldn't get me into trouble. Is that the reason you tried to get the blood off your shoes and clothing? Yes. And that was the reason you threatened to kill Martinez, keep him from telling on you? Yes. Then you knew you had done wrong. Yes. Then you do know the difference between right and wrong. Yes. That's all. Sweet rest. Just a moment. We shall present concluding facts regarding tonight's story. It's human nature when you find an exceptional value to tell your friends about it, whether it be a café that serves par excellence food or the store where quality is high and prices are low. And so, you folks who have discovered the superiority of all-purpose Rio Grande cracks, obey that impulse to tell your friends about this great new motor fuel. The gasoline that is first in public service and should be first in Europe. David was found guilty, a judge sane, and sentenced to die in the gas chamber of San Quentin. Here's another story of the losing nature of crime. I'm going the San Broadcast
1: 292. regarding to looking to a the radio station. That's all. I'm to
0: Now later President you good night for Leo Grande. At this time, Rio Grande will present the Bellingham, Washington, Case of the Wicked Queen. This is the Columbia Broadcasting
1: System.